Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. For those of you watching online, a big welcome to you. Glad you have joined us as well. Uh, Frank mentioned this earlier, but just to reiterate, uh, you've got cards in the seat back in front of you there. If you uh, have anything that you want to communicate to us, prayer requests, that you were here, you got questions, anything like that, please feel free uh, to use those. You can drop them in the box on the way out, or uh, if you are online or just prefer, you can uh, leave a comment in one of the online platforms, send us an email, info at Heritage Park, uh, anything like that. We're going to um, open our Bibles in just a second, but before we open this, I wanted to open this. Can we do that for just a moment? Um, <clears throat> there, there's a couple things that I just wanted to, um, I just, I sense I need to say out loud to all of us as a church family, uh, and so indulge me for this one moment. Um, there are two realities, I think, that uh, we're dealing with um, today, and I just want to shine light on them, and hopefully in doing so, uh, what that will do is actually help us uh, get our hands around them and, and, and uh, deal with them as they are. Uh, first reality is we're still... Well, fine then. I'll pick you up and deal with you momentarily. I'm not sure what happened. Uh, first reality is... Uh, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, Delta has made quite a surge here, and uh, you know, with school coming back, there's probably some more um, s- surging uh, that will still be done. I was talking to one of our uh, folks uh, outside in the lobby just a minute ago, a nurse at Methodist downtown. They're I- they're out of ICU rooms. It's crazy, you know. Like this is this is crazy, and so. Um, we're, we're still in the middle of that. And so I just want to note that this is still a very real thing and we're still um, tracking along. Some of you have asked, how are we making decisions and giving encouragements that we're uh, doing? What are we doing? Uh, there's some data streams that we're working with. One is um, uh, we're tracking the Texas Medical Center uh, website fairly closely and they give us a leading and lagging indicator. And so I just want you to know we're tracking very closely with that. Uh, secondly, uh, we're following the advice of medical professionals here in the area, as well as um, I had a conversation this week with one of the chief medical officers of a big hospital in Louisiana, and he also runs the COVID unit. And we're trying to um, I kind of let him do the red light, green light thing. Hey, is this danger? Is this not? Should we? Should we not? And, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And so the things that we're doing, uh, we have input on, I guess is what I'm saying. You may say, those are terrible data streams to track. And I'm like, okay, great. If you've got better ones, man, I am down. I am really, really down. Because I never took a uh, navigating a pandemic class in any of the courses of any of the schools that I've ever been to. Uh, If you have, I would love to hear from you. but uh, that's that. And so um, the reality is, is that we're dealing with this. And I, I just want to say to all of us as a church family, we are dealing with this. And uh, we will make some decisions that will frustrate some, and we will make some decisions that will make some happy. And that's just, it's just the reality of it all. But let's deal with the reality of it. Um, I say that because uh, we've had folks leave um, our church family, and um, I really struggle in saying anything about any of this, but I just, I just think it's important. We've had folks leave our church family, one of whom on the way out the door said, this is, this is last fall, so 10 months ago, give or take, um, who said, uh, or yeah, somewhere in there, nine, 10 months ago, anyway, who said, hey, look, uh, this is all going to be over when Trump is reelected president. Folks, he wasn't, and it's not. Um, a neighbor person with a dead serious face said, 
uh, well, I just think the government's spraying us with everything. Like, I, I don't even have a frame. I was telling Keith or somebody, like, I don't even have a framework to process all of that with you. Like, I don't, I want to help. I don't know how to even start. This is the reality in which we live, okay? And so um, let's set conspiracy theories aside. Let's set all that junk aside. Let's just deal with uh, what's out in front of us because reality number one is we're in a pandemic. Secondly, second reality is uh, we are also um, in the middle of a spiritual battle. We've been that way. It was, it was that way before the pandemic. Um, it'll be that way after this is gone, uh, whether we learn to live with it or whether it goes away. Uh, but the reality is, is that there is an enemy who wants to do some pretty t- terrible things to us. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. That's how the Bible talks about him. So um, the, the spiritual uh, warfare uh, that we are in, the spiritual battle that we're in for us, um, I, I think it's really important j- just to say, like, we... Uh, it, it would want to divide us, and um, when when division happens, witness uh, gets hurt in the world. Church family, this is a moment for us. We can come together um, as a church family. We can lean into us um, as lean into the situations in which we find ourselves as a church family, and um, we can do some really incredible good in a countercultural world. I think pretty soon the world is going to get really tired of fighting with one another, and they're going to look for people who figured out how to disagree, how to um, live uh, with the realities that are there, and still like be family together. That's that should be the church, and so that's what I want for us. Somebody asked me actually um, uh, right before the eight thirty service this morning. I said, "Gosh, what like what do you want for the church? Uh, if you were here during Hurricane Harvey, and you especially if you were a part of our church family." Uh, you know kind of how we as a church family responded and how we really leaned in. That's the kind of thing that I want to say because I prayed for us, I'm praying for us now, that we would come through this together and we would come through it better. Those two things. So if you want to pray, that's how I'm praying these days for us as a church family. Uh, what that does mean is if, if you're frustrated with something, please say so. If you are um, got questions about something, please say so. I mean, ask somebody. Somebody, and if they don't know, maybe they'll know somebody who knows, or maybe we'll all just look at one another and go, "Gosh, we have no idea what we're doing here." Um, we have had people leave, as I said. Um, some people uh, on their way out the door uh, have done so because we've been spineless, faithless, godless, um, any number of things. That, I mean, this is the meeting that we had, and so I just I want to say to us as a church family, man. Uh, let's lean into this and let's lean into this together. Let's be responsible, not only for yourself, but also for the people around you. Yeah. Cause we're family and this is what we do. And, uh, so th- this, this kind of moment really matters and it matters not only in our church family, but also in witness to the world. Those two things have been in my heart. I haven't figured out the best way to say them. I'm still not sure they're as articulate as they need to be. It was a lot cleaner than the 830 service. I'll give you that. So I just want to, <laughs> I just want to tell you, uh, man, uh, we have a tremendous opportunity here um, to, to love, to really love well and to be f- church family together. And so let's take responsibility, yes, for ourselves, but also um, let's take responsibility uh, for the people around and act accordingly, okay, and act accordingly. So now that that's done, I want to pray. I want to pick up my sermon notes because apparently I can't keep them on a stand. And then I want to uh, open our Bibles to the book of Genesis. All right, so let me offer a prayer for us. Um, In Jesus' name, Father, we're here before you, your people. Uh, We've heard enough words already from a man. That really was not 
What I'm asking God is that you now would open up your word so that we hear from you. Far greater than any um, uh, news outlet, far greater than any other, like we just want to hear from you. God, you alone have the words of life and where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go? Nowhere. We want, Lord, to hear from you. And so now, would you open up your word to us? That is true, but God, we're praying for that. But also now, would you open us, open us, open us up to your word? Speak to your people. We're ready to hear. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Okay, if you have a Bible, Genesis chapter 50, if you're a user of the Bible app, you can open that app and find our live event. If you need a Bible that you want to hold in your hand like mine, uh, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to grab one. Genesis chapter 50, the very last um, uh, chapter in, in, that, uh, in that book. Um, So here's why today's sermon, okay? Uh, Next week, we're going to kick off uh, uh, several sermons in the book of Exodus. Now, Exodus is 40 chapters long. We're going to go episode by episode instead of verse by verse, which is kind of our normal, because it would take us until 2038 to get through all 40 chapters, and I'm not sure. Some of you know. You're like, yeah, that's about right, yeah. So that, that is not our intent. Uh, we're just going to go kind of episode by episode so that we, are, um, we have a good picture. And the reason why is because the story of Exodus is our story. Um, we, we are the people who were in bondage and experienced deliverance, and then God created a new people. I mean, that, that's the story of Israel, and that's the story of you and me. We were uh, delivered by uh, the resurrected Messiah, Jesus, and made not only a new person, but it created, God created a new people. And so I'm really amped about um, this. But uh, today is just kind of a setup uh, for that. And so a journey ahead is the theme. Um, and what I want to do is just take a moment and work our way through the book of Genesis so that everybody's up to speed and so we can land on Exodus uh, next week. Um, there, there are some things. Uh, Genesis is a story. It is a, when people think about the book of Genesis, they think about um, beginnings. But it's not just a story of beginnings. It's also a story of identity. We learn um, uh, some things about not only God, but about ourselves. Okay, and so here are some biggies. Number one, uh, God is the creator. God's a creator. Now, some people read Genesis 1 and they take it as in, you know, a scientific um, explanation of how God uh, worked it out. Some people read it more metaphorically. Some people read it functionally. This is what God was doing in order to bring the world about. However you read Genesis 1 and 2, the story is God is the one who made it all. You and I are sitting here today. Why? Because God has created us. Um, the, the, the babies that will be born today are, are born because God has created them. He has knit them together um, in, his, uh, in their mother's wombs. And so, man, I, I just want to say, however it all shakes out for you, uh, God is the one who is the creator. And the, the kind of uh, under, uh, the bullet underneath that um, subordinate clause, if you will, is that because God is the creator, you and I then are dignified as humans. We are dignified with his image. 
We are dignified with his image. The image of God, Jesus, um, in Genesis chapter 1, it says uh, God made them male and female, and he made them in his image. That's how the Bible talks about it. The image of God is a critical, critical thing, especially in the Old Testament, and especially as we think about Exodus, just a little preview here. Um, one of the big ten commandments in the book of Exodus is don't make a graven image. You remember that? Like, in other words, don't make a statue or anything else that is going to pretend to be your God. Why is that important? Well, first, it's important because in all of the kingdoms of the world at that time, the king is the one who claimed to be the image of God. And so what would the king do? The king would set up statues all over his realm with, uh, of himself. Oh, there's a king, there's a king. And that would be the image of God. But God says that you and I are the image of God. So we are to be walking, talking representatives of the image of God. And I'll just give you a little bitty, um, like, here I am. In full Baylor gear, because we're national champions this year, and I'm going to wear this out until next April. Yeah, Sigam Bears, thank you so much. And some of you have come along and said to me, in love, I am sure, hey, is everything, does everything that in your closet, is it all Baylor gear? And my answer is, well, half of it is. So what's your, like every other day, you know, that would be about it. I'm a walking, if you will, walking, talking image of my um, alma mater, a friend of mine, um, used to work for Nike and he's a huge Nike fan. In fact, all he wears is like Nike stuff, Nike shoes, wherever he is. I, I'm pretty sure that he would wear a suit with Nike shoes. Like that's, that's kind of how that would go. And you can just imagine if he walked outside right now and walked to the little puddle because it just sprinkled on us a while ago and you'd walk, see him walking down the sidewalk. What would you see behind him as he walked? What would you see? Little swooshes all the way up and down the sidewalk because everywhere he went, the image was left, right? And th this is us. This, this is, when we are walking, talking representatives of God, everywhere we step, there, there is an a, a impression left of what God is supposed to be like. We are dignified with his image. This is what God has called us to be. God is the creator. Secondly, God is just, or in other words, he is right. Um, he, listen, there, there, we want this to be true. Why? Because there are all sorts of bad things that happen um, when there is not somebody who is in control who is actually right and is actually just. Okay, so there, there is a tyranny that can exist forever, uh, but if if there is not a God who is just and right, um, in the, we talked about Exodus, Pharaoh comes to power. And uh, he, he uh, basically lives um, as the tyrannical ruler, and pharaohs that follow him live as the tyrannical rulers um, over not only Egypt, but the people of God as well. And God's like, I'm not going to tolerate that forever. Nope, nope. Mm -mm. Later in the Bible story, um, Nebuchadnezzar comes to power, the king of Babylon, and he reigns, but only for a little while. God's not going to tolerate that forever. And then Rome comes along. The Romans are in place when Jesus is um, um, executed unjustly, and they don't get to live forever. And on and on and on we could go. And so it's not just the governmental structures. Listen, cancer doesn't get to live forever either. COVID doesn't get to live, for, uh, live forever either. There are, there are things in this world that are not right that God one day will finally and fully put right because he's just. That's good news for you and me. What's not good news is this next little part here is uh, that we are traitors. 
And we fill the world with the uh, consequences of our own brokenness. So in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, as the story goes, have sin against God and they're removed from the garden, removed from his presence. They experience shame. They experience conflict between the two of them and spiritual conflict. There's all sorts of problems that get unleashed in the world. Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel have this big fight. Cain ultimately kills Abel. Genesis 6, the world is filled with bloodshed, the Bible says. And so God puts Noah and his family on a boat and is like, I'm done with the rest of you people. And on and on and on. God is just. He is right. And we have filled the world. We are traitors. And we fill the world with the consequences of our brokenness. And if you think, oh, yeah, but that was kind of back then. Listen, we don't have to look very far over our own shoulder to see our own treachery or to see um, consequences of brokenness in this world, do we? You don't have to look very far. God is just. Uh, Thirdly, uh, God is holy. And so in the story of Abraham, God calls Abraham out, brings him to a new place, makes him some promises. God, man, this is going to be a good thing for you, Abraham. And along the way, um, uh, God is developing him and working with him and, and, and um, shaping him and helping him to grow. God is holy. And then there are uh, stories that are pretty disturbing in the, in, the, um, in the Abraham narrative, one of which is he sends Abraham up on a mountain with his sons like, go sacrifice your son. Abraham's like, uh, this is what we're doing, huh? Okay, this is what we're doing. He goes up and what happens? He stops him and not just stops him. What? He also provides for Abraham a different sacrifice. Now that should be ringing some bells because, uh, you know, instead of, uh, somebody dying, uh, there was a sacrifice provided in his place. That should be ringing some bells for people uh, who follow Jesus. That's a beautiful picture. But in doing so, God is saying, Hey, there are other gods in the world who will demand all sorts of terrible things for you. I'm not that God. When we say God is holy, we're not just talking about him being other. We're talking about him being different and pure. He is separate from all the other gods in the world. And he's using moments like this to teach Abraham uh, that that is the case. You and I, then, we are made right with God uh, as we have a faith that follows him. So when we, via this faith of ours that follows God where he leads and does what he says and steps into obedience and loves our neighbor and does all the things that uh, Jesus said are important, we are made right with God via a faith that follows him. In James chapter 2, uh, James even says, uh, Abraham was justified by his works. Now, you look back on the story and you're like, no, he wasn't. It clearly says he was justified by his faith. James's point is this. There's a kind of faith that goes to work that actually does the following. And then there's a kind of faith that people go, oh, yeah, 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 God, we're good. Which do you think justifies? The kind that says, hey, I think I'll go my own way. Hey, I know you said this was wrong, but really it can't be that wrong. God, you're kind of old-fashioned. Hey, God, uh, you know, in our day and in our age, really, I mean, this should be, uh, you should really update this. Like, uh, we're still uh, running uh, Windows 97 here. We really need to move up some. Like, we need to get this thing moving on along. Like, we're, this is an old-timey thing, and we'll just update you, God. You're on the wrong side of history on this. Or there's a faith that says, God, no matter what, and no matter how, and no matter when, whatever you say, my answer is yes, I'm in. And it's that kind of faith, uh, James says, that Abraham had. He was justified because his faith went to work. That's what he says. We are made right with God via a faith that actually follows him. And lastly, um, God is creator. He's just, he's right, he's holy, he's different um, and, and pure. And then lastly, Thankfully, and somebody say amen to this, God is profoundly patient. Anybody, anybody, 
with me on this. So all throughout the Abraham story, Abraham trips, falls, sticks his foot right in his mouth and sticks his face right in the mud. And God is patient. Isaac comes along. He's got some problems. There's some serious family dynamic issues at play with Isaac, the next patriarch. And God is tremendously patient. Jacob comes along. He's a deceiver. He got all sorts of problems out the wazoo. He tricks people, does all sorts of crazy stuff. God is incredibly patient. And then Joseph comes along. Joseph receives a dream. And it's 20 years until the fulfillment of that dream. 20 years. God is incredibly patient. The good news is, is that because he's patient, you and I, we don't get written out of the story. We continue to be a part of the story that God is telling in the world. We get to be a part of the story that God is telling in the world. So that's a really, really long introduction to get to where we are. God is creator and he's just and he's holy and he's patient. And here in the Joseph story now, Jacob, his father has died. They're in the land of Egypt. Um, if you're not familiar with the story, just very briefly, uh, Joseph was, he was a punky little brother, sold by his older brothers into slavery, uh, went down into Egypt, uh, was a servant in Potiphar's house, was wrongly accused of some pretty terrible things, ended up in prison, uh, ultimately was exalted to be the vice president of Egypt to see them through their own version of pandemic. That's where we are. Jacob, now the father has died. And therefore, because these things are true, because God is creator, because God is just, because God is holy, and because God is patient, we can say the, these following five statements right out of the text. We're going to start in G uh, Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brother saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. So um, it, if God owes all these things that we talked about, and we, in light of that, are all the things that we have identified, there, there are some statements that we can make. Here's number one. Uh, you and I, we live in a, I live in a very messed up world. I live in a messed up world. I mean, here, you talk about family dynamics. This is a heck of a Thanksgiving dinner moment. They're sitting around the table, and they're like, hey, dad's gone. Mom's been gone a long time. It's just us brothers, and he's the guy with all the power. I think we're toast. I think we're toast. I mean, crazy. You know, like we live in a messed up world. The brothers had done tremendous evil, and there was a ton of baggage that went with it. Some of you know exactly what that feels like in a family. Some of you know exactly what that feels like in a marriage. Or in your own heart, I have done tremendous evil, and yet there is consequence. There are baggage. There's things going on there. And one of the ways that are so easy, and this is just another expression, not just the evil, but then this is another expression of just how messed up the world is. Um, then they lied about it. So here we are. Uh, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they were worried. Verse 15, it may be that Joseph will hate us, pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. That's its own problem. Then, verse 16, so they sent a message to Joseph. Your father gave us this command before he died. Now, listen, um, you can go back all through the story of Joseph, 
Okay? Go back all through this. Jacob the dad didn't say anything like that. They are lying, 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 liar, liar. Their pants are on fire. I'm telling you, there's nothing in here that points to that at all. Nothing. They're just making it up. But none of us have ever lied to try to mitigate the consequences, hoping we can just ride something out, right? That's what we call uncomfortable laughter. He, he, he. Hope nobody's looking. They lied to mitigate the consequences, and you and I, we sometimes choose to live in a lie and hope to ride it out instead of bringing it to the light with genuine confession and repentance and, yes, sometimes consequences. But church family, listen. Um, some people, they live with an idea. Oh, well, if we could just go back to this particular point in time, if we could just go back to this golden age, if we could go... There's never been a golden age. Like, the golden age is yet to come. It's still out there in the future. There's never been a... The world has always been messed up. And because it's always been messed up, we just need to acknowledge the fact that it is the case. And instead of running from it, instead of trying to hide in a lie, instead of doing any number of other things, we can just say, I live in a messed up world. Secondly, verse 18. Uh, his brothers also came, and f- so they sent a messenger, and then verse 18, they came and they fell down before him, and they said, behold, we are your servants. So that servant-master dynamic there, that's, that's really what I'm keying off of. And the, the second statement here is that um, I am a contributor to this. I'm a contributor to this. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, um, let me be very clear. Joseph was not responsible for their sin. Some of you parents need to hear that because your kid is crazy. Some of you kids need to hear that because your parents are nuts. Or spouses. Or we're like, there, there are people in your life that you care about that you're like, hey, I'm not responsible for their sin. I need to get up off the guilt train and, and take the next stop and just let, them, let God deal with them. Um, but sometimes I can be a contributor to the problem. And here's why. Um, Joseph, he was a punky little brother. Anybody have any punky little siblings in the house? Yes. Um, some of you are like, yes, and they're sitting next to him. So <clears throat> Joseph had this dream. He's one of the younger of the kids. And he goes to his, the, the, the dream is that they bow down to him. Now, you read the story, and that's exactly what happened. The problem was, Joseph in his pride rolls up to family dinner and is like, Hey, I just need to tell you, I had this crazy dream. It's awesome. All of you people bow down to me. Now, if you're an older sibling, and your younger sibling rolls in with that right there, what are you going to do? You're going to sell them into slavery. That's exactly what you're going to do. I mean, if you could, you, you smack them on the head. You'd short sheet their bed. I mean, whatever it was that you would do, you would do it. Joseph's pride wasn't the cause of their pride, but it was a contributor. And it's not as if I don't have my own issues. It's not as if... It's not as if the sin in the world is greater than the sin in my own heart. And some of you need to hear that today. Man, the the things that God is most concerned with is not the sin in your past, but the sin that you're wrestling with right now. Not the sin that's out there, but the sin that's in here. 
And frankly, even though the consequences were unintentional, and there's always unintentional consequences, even though the consequences were unintentional, Joseph had a role in the rise of Pharaoh to tyranny. So in, to tyranny in, in Genesis 47, um, the, the pandemic, the, the plague, and the, uh, the famine has really taken hold. The, Joseph has stored all of this grain up, and he starts selling it to people. And they're like, here, here's some money. Okay, here's some grain. And then it gets to the point where like, oh, here's some cattle. Here's some grain. Oh, here's some land. Here's some grain. And then finally they're like, we don't, we don't have anything else to give. What do you want? You want us to enslave ourselves to you? He's like, I tell you what, let's do this. Uh, let's just, you know, you grow the stuff and... Um, Pharaoh will take 20% of it when it's all said and done. Cool? And you thought government had been corrupt only in the past few years. Like, you, you didn't know that it had been that way for a long, long time. I mean, Pharaoh rises to be this powerful, powerful influence because of Joseph. I'm a contributor. Thirdly, I am incapable of fixing it. Look at verse 19. But Joseph said to them, don't fear, for am I in the place of God? Joseph is clear that he's not going to be able um, to fix this. He is free to let God sort it out for his brothers. It's a good, that's a good play. Because God made the world, he can control it. He alone can redeem it. He alone can deal with the things that are there. Because there are genuine problems that you and I have. And those genuine problems are not going to be fixed by human ingenuity or invention. We need some spiritual work to happen in us and then through us. I'm incapable of fixing it. And what that does for you and for me, folks, is it humbles us to set our lives before God, to set other people before God, to set their problems before God, to set our issues before God, and say, God, I need you not only to work there, I need you to work here. Because as much as I want you to deal with this situation, I also need you to deal with this situation right here. And that only comes through the good news of Jesus. He has died for your sin in your place to deal with the stuff that's there. And then he rose from the dead, not only dealing with the penalty of your sin, but also because he rose from the dead, he is a, um, offers to you a different kind of power and be, will be at work in you to live differently than you could live on your own. I am incapable of fixing it, but Jesus can redeem it and then go to work to transform you. Last two statements. The, the first three are about us. These last two, they're better. Verse 20. If you know a verse in chapter 50 of Genesis, this is the one you know. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God is at work on a scale that you, don't, you and I don't always see. That, that is the truth, and that is the beauty of this. What was intended, hey, we're going to get him to, uh, we're going to sell him to these people. They'll get him out of here. Uh, good luck, Joseph. Psh, where I, what was intended is not at all what happened. And some of you are in places like that where you just know there are people who are intending things for you, and that's not at all necessarily what God is going to let happen. Um, I give it to you this way. Uh, the Olympics uh, just had their closing ceremony. They may watch some of the Olympics or a lot of the Olympics along the way. Anybody? Okay. I, we did too. Uh, our, 
One of my daughters and I, we'd stay up after people had kind of settled in uh, to their evening. We'd stay up and we'd watch whatever was on. We'd watch diving and gymnastics and this and that and track. and whatever. We'd watch any number of things. We're going to go home and watch recorded soccer. We know the outcome. Don't, don't, it's fine. We're going to watch it anyway. Like, th- this was the part, though. This was the part. And you tell me if you experienced this the same way. NBC at times would, uh, on our screen, they, they would put up, um, on this side over here, um, they would put up a big honking commercial. And then on this side, there would be the little bitty rectangle with ongoing action. Yeah, anybody see that with me on that? They do it in golf broadcasts sometimes, maybe baseball or stuff. And like, that's super annoying. Yeah? Yes, let the church say amen to that, right? And so you're just like, man, that is annoying. Because now I'm all like squinty, squinty, trying to see the little bitty thing that's going on. Did they hit that? Did they make it? I'm not sure what happened. Who came in first? What lane are they in? I mean, you're kind of going through that. And all the while, they're trying to sell you something else. Now, what's true about that is that this big annoying thing makes this other thing possible. Like, had NBC not shown commercials or had commercials at all, we would not have uh, Tokyo Olympics coverage. Yes? You with me on that? And there are times, there are times when the big annoying thing is actually making this other stuff possible. Church family, listen. There are times when whatever you think is the big annoying thing God is using that to make some other stuff possible. God is at work on a scale that I cannot see. The the work he is doing may very well cost me something. But in the end, it will be good for me and for those around me. I just want you to, verse 20. God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph was included in that many who were kept alive. Paul said it this way in Romans 8, verse 28. Here's what we know. God causes all things, not most things, all things, to work together for good. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So if you're in here today and you are a follower of Jesus, what I'm saying to you is whatever big annoying commercial thing is happening in your world, making you squint to see what you really, really, really want to see, that big thing might very well be making possible the thing that you're ready to get back to. God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. And it may cost you. It may. It cost Joseph 20 years and a lot of pain and some loneliness and some frustration and some isolation and some humility. I mean, it cost Joseph big. But God also used him to bring about, as it says, that you should be kept alive as they are. Many people should be kept alive as they are today. Last thing. God expects me to do good in the ways that I can. Yes, we live in a broken world, but... It doesn't mean we just check out and we go, good luck, world. Verse 21, he says, don't fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. God expects us to do good in the ways that we can. So Joseph here, because God is creator and just and holy and patient, he says, now, Joseph, here's an opportunity for you to do good in the ways that you can. He could have wiped them out. He could have said, all right, now that dad's gone, let's be done. The cycle of vengeance never ends, though. Have you noticed this? I mean, Liam Neeson has made jillions of dollars on revenge movies, yes? 
The reason why there's a taken three is because there was a taken one and a taken two, right? Like there's always something spinning in Liam Neeson's world. If you're not sure what that, all that, just, it's okay, forget it. Like, but God wants us to do good. We can break that cycle just by doing good. And so I say that to say that our trust in God can overcome not only our fear, but also the fear of others. When we demonstrate our faith and our trust in God, it not only helps us deal with the things that are in us, but also helps um, others deal with the things that are in them. Um, doing good. I just checked this last phrase. Thus be, com- thus be comforted. Excuse me. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. As he trusted God and as he did good, he wasn't a jerk about it. That's really important in our day and our age. Like we... We want to be people who don't cancel out our good because we were jerky while doing it. He spoke kindly um, to them. And then lastly, doing good, if you're wondering, it doesn't have to be complicated. He just, look at what he says. Don't fear. I'll provide for you and your little ones. I'm just going to, I know that there are some things to do. And so I just want you to do them. Like, you you need something. I'm stepping into this. I want to make sure that you, my brothers, and your kids, that you're taken care of. This wasn't hard for Joseph, and it wasn't complicated. Sometimes, folks, the simple things are just the best things. As, as we do good in the ways that we can, we don't have to dream up some big mechanism to just like... We can do simple things, easy things. God expects me to do good in the ways that I can. Frank and I were talking about uh, this week, uh, about the sermon and stuff, and... He sent, me, he sent me this quote from a book called, um, by uh, Pierce Brantley called Calling. Here's what it says. Just like Joseph, when you believe that God has called you to big things, you can choose to see your present situation as part of those big things that the Lord wants to do through you. So right here, right now, it may be terrible. There may be a big commercial on the screen. And you're like, hey, that's not what you call me to do. You're doing right here, right now, the very thing that you're living in may be the very thing that God is using to ready you for what he wants you to do. This, is, this part, this, this big annoying thing that's in your way right now, this hurdle that's in your way right now, this hardship that's a part of your life right now, it could be the very thing that God uses to ready you for whatever he wants to do. When you... When you believe that God has called you to big things, you can choose to see the present situation as part of those big things that the Lord wants you to give us your all to. God expects me to do good in ways that I can. So, the first three statements I said were about us. I live in a broken world. I'm a contributor and I can't fix it. The, the last two, they're about God. God is at work on a scale that I cannot see. God expects me to do good in ways that I can. Here's my question. Which of those two do you need to hold on to more right now? Which of those two do you need to really set anchor in and go, man, the winds are going to come, the waves are going to come. I, I get that, but like in this moment right here, this is where I'm dropping anchor. This is the thing that I'm going to stand on. There are people in the world who need your good. Go do it. Some of you are on pretty... Um, you know, uh, unstable ground right now. God is at work on a scale that I cannot see. I want you to know that we have guarantees like God is causing these things to come together for good. We have guarantees because of Jesus. 
because he has conquered our biggest enemy. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to surrender your life to him. And if you're watching online today, man, I just want to invite you to give your life to Jesus today. Surrender to him. And in doing so, you, you, you will become, not only experience the deliverance that he has from your sin and from its power in your life, but you'll also be a part of a larger thing. You, you'll get to be a part of the story that he's telling in this world. So if you are a Christian, think about one of those two things. Are you, do you, do you need to drop anchor um, in the fact that God's at work on a scale or that you can't see? Or do you need to say, man, there's some good that I need to do in the world right now. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to give your life to him today. Let me pray for us. We'll have a song of reflection. I'll be back to dismiss us in just a moment. And why don't you take just a second, ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about which of those two statements is your biggest need right now. And Holy Spirit, I just, I I ask, just like rain is falling outside, that there would be something that washes us today in this moment. That there would be something that comes over us, marks us, helps us, provides for us, feeds us, nourishes us in this moment. And Father, as we um, navigate these days, I simply pray that you would speak to us in a way, lead us in a way that honors Jesus most. We certainly don't have a better leader to follow. Nobody else is going to be as good to us as you have been to us. Nobody else has the authority to redeem the things that you are redeeming currently in this present moment right now. So we give ourselves to you. Whatever that looks like, whatever it means, we collectively say yes and amen to you. Thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Please continue to speak and minister. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.